welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Today you are joined by your hosts, as always, Tiara and Jack. And thank you so much for tuning in for what is now our 22nd episode. That's so awesome, 22 in a row. So today we are going to be doing a typical question and answer type episode. But first, we're just going to give you a bit of a debrief on what has been up for the last week. Yeah, so we basically wrapped up season A for, I guess, our coaching services. And yeah, it was the AWNBS show, which is a female oriented show. And that one's linked in with the WNBF. Mm, and we had, well, Tiara had one of her clients, Kate, compete, and I'll let Tiara explain everything. All right. I guess from anyone who has seen our Instagram like posts from the last day, I guess now, because that was only just yesterday that was the show, uh, you would have seen how Kate went, but she just did phenomenally. So, oh my God. So Kate entered two divisions. She entered Bikini Juniors and then also Bikini Open Tall. So in Bikini Junior, she came second. In Bikini Open Tall, she came first, which put her into the overall. And Kate won the overall title, which was just, oh my God, we just went crazy in the crowd. We just, uh, she looked amazing up there. And, you know, this was the show that she really had her eyes set on Oh, forever, you know, for a really long time when she came to me last year in December and said, you know, she wanted a coach and she wanted some help preparing for a competition. This was the show for her and for her to take home the overall title. Oh, man, just amazing. So freaking proud of her, oh, man. <laughs> and yeah, the day was just pretty hilarious. <laughs> Kate is just really, really funny. Like, for example, like it was a pretty chilled out morning. She just got her hair and makeup done and we went in the bathroom so that she could get changed into her bikini. And, you know, I'm just there standing outside the cubicle and Kate goes, oh, shit. And I'm like, what? And she's like, I dropped the bikini in the toilet. <laughs> and I'm like, what the heck? And she's like, oh, my God. Like, I don't know. Like, it's wet. Like, um, she's like, do you think we can dry it? I'm like, OK, just <laughs> it's all right. Just bring it out here. And um, it was mainly it was just the bikini bottoms. I think the bikini top was safe, but the bikini bottoms had been dropped in this toilet water and were quite damp. So I was like, OK, we'll use the hand dryer to dry it. And then all the hand dryers upstairs at the venue were broken. So I left Kate in the bathroom. I had to like run downstairs in the venue, try to find a bathroom with another hair dryer, running around with these little shimmery bikini bottoms. And there were these other ladies in the bathroom. And they're like, what the heck are you doing? And I'm like, oh, my competitor, she dropped her bottoms in the toilet. <laughs> anyway, the show went on and Kate ended up winning the overall title, even after dropping the bikini in the bathroom. So <laughs> that is quite the story to be told, but it just shows how a day can really turn around for you. Mm. <laughs> bodybuilding coach and bikini dryer oh yeah that is me <laughs> but yeah what an excellent day and what a freaking awesome way to end our first season as coaches just epic and it just goes by in a heartbeat because you know you prep for 20 plus weeks and then the shows were over like three shows for us were over in the span of just two weeks so man it really just goes to show if you're three doing weeks. a prep Make the most of it because, geez, the time just flies. Mm, and yeah, so with our clients now, uh, 
basically into the recovery portion of the diet after the shows and maximizing every variable we can for those who want to compete in future seasons to come, which is also very exciting. Yeah, and Oliver and Kate, man, they are so both like they are incredibly motivated to get right back into their recovery diets and their training. They've already got their training programs. They're just pumped. Mm. Yeah, they they definitely are goal clients to look at, even for motivation for us, because they literally they had like one off day of eating and they that was very under control and they're already like back to it, counting macros again. And yeah, we like, why not just maximize this period as much as possible? So yeah, exactly. They are hashtag goals. (laughs) But yeah, I guess in other news, what else is up? So we are now we just have two weeks left of uni. We just have a few assignments to just wrap up and submit. And then we are out of there forever. I'm so freaking pumped. I just, I never want to write another reference list again in my life. And I don't want to write another like arbitrary assignment, just like. Or a uh, reflection on a reflection on a reflection. Oh my God, I'm so tired of reflecting. Yeah, I just want to get out there and put all of my energy and passion into my job and my career. I'm just, oh, so pumped. Yeah, it should be epic to finish uni. And what else has been up with you? Nothing since the last podcast a week ago. Nothing at all? <laughs> I guess I trained a bit and ate a few carbs and stuff like just, that. Just a few carbs. What are your carbs on now? <laughs> uh, between 650 and 700, depending on training load and that sort of stuff. My God. Jeez Louise. 700. That's close to Mike Isertel at the 900 mark. <laughs> mm. well, I still got there. 10 kilos to gain, so wow. who knows what they'll be. 1,000. <laughs> 1K carbs on my fitness pal. <laughs> I guess in, yeah, I'm still doing my mini cut. So I'm down two weeks down. I'm 1.5 kilograms down in weight, which is I'm really, really happy with that. And I just feel good. Like I just feel less puffy, which is really nice. And my training performance is still there. And I still feel like I'm eating a decent amount of food because during my, like previously in my improvement season, I was able to build up my calories pretty damn high. Like they were well over 3000 calories per day. And I was maintaining for a while there around 70 kilograms there, but I've just recently dropped them by around a thousand calories. So I'm eating closer to 2000 calories now, but I just still feel good. And ultimately I just like want to lose like my fat face, like, because in my improvement season, like my cheeks just blow up and I look like a bit of a gopher. So like, I guess the ultimate goal of this mini cut is to lose the cheek gains, but keep the booty gains. So yes, that's what I'm striving for. And and we're going to have graduation photos too. And I don't want to have some fat face. So anyway, yeah. Shredding the face. (laughs) Yeah, and especially when you compare us to the photos with our competitors as well. Oh like, my god, it's awful. When you're like in the peak of your improvement season and then you're standing next to this like shredded tan person, like no like Jesus, you will just look so chub. <laughs> but yeah, we'll get straight into the questions now. So we have already answered this one, excited to graduate. Mm. Question mark. So Hell yeah. <laughs> And yeah, another great question by Lawrence today. So he asks, in your opinion, what are the most underrated foods when it comes to nutritional benefits? All right. So what would, what's one that pops to your mind? 
Uh, I don't really have a specific food in general. I would say my answer would more be, I guess everyone is looking, especially on social media these days, everyone is looking for like one superfood or group of superfoods and stuff when really it just comes down to a wholesome diet and pretty much anything that is comes from the ground or comes from the earth and it is minimally processed is all going to have unique and beneficial health factors. Are, are you telling me that I can't survive off chia seeds and kale? You probably could. <laughs> <laughs> no way, man. No matter how super they are, I couldn't survive off that. <laughs> but yeah, basically... Yeah, I would say just a wholesome diet in general, um, incorporating all of the food groups is the most underrated because to be honest, not many people do it. And that's why we have high rates of chronic disease and overweight and obesity. So yeah, I guess like trying to advertise for whole grains and just, you know, your average fruits and vegetables, like your apples and your oranges and your rolled oats and your you know wholemeal flour it doesn't really come across as that sexy so people are always trying to advertise for superfoods like acai and chia seeds and activated nuts <laughs> i definitely think that one comes to my mind i am a bit of a canned fish fanatic but definitely something i think is underrated is sardines. Sardines are freaking awesome because sardines are packed full of protein, packed full of omega-3 fatty acids. They've also got a decent amount of calcium in them. Like one can of sardines has close to half the amount of calcium or even close to the amount of calcium that you would get in your average cup of milk, which is pretty epic because the way that they pressurize the fish in the can, it pressurizes the very small bones in the sardines. Like they're still completely edible, but those bones are an excellent source of calcium. So sardines are epic. And I don't hear many people on Instagram flash like or see many people flashing around their cans of sardines but i've actually got a good one as well um what <laughs> raspberries raspberries yeah. i see those i see people advertise raspberries and yeah you know, but berries. not for the right reasons though like raspberries like has a huge fiber content mm-hmm. and compared to any other fruit and like per per its gram and weight it must be some of the one of the highest fruits with yeah fiber content yeah. per gram i guess people definitely advertise blueberries over raspberries mm. mm-hmm. yeah and yeah ras- especially in ice cream they're very good yeah and i think one last one is milk just average plain milk what an epic food and i remember when we were learning we were studying this subject called food science and we did this entire topic on dairy and the like the lecturer was so freaking passionate about dairy and she made the really good point that Dude, we had a whole lecture on like sausages that was not <laughs> fun we learned <laughs> we learned how to process and make sausages <laughs> and the different types of sausages like continental the, and german <laughs> oh my god you remember geez louise the frankfurts and we literally had to <laughs> memorize the whole thing for the exam like what a waste of yeah memory oh my space. god we even learned what was it um surimi or uh, that type of fish mm. yeah. Oh, yeah, surimi, yeah yeah we actually learned like the exact steps in processing this like specific type of asian fish anyway whoa that's way off topic <laughs> if you ever go to uq study uh, food 2000 it's pretty good pretty awesome subject anyway the um lecture for dairy she just made the really good point that like milk is the perfect food 
because such a great protein value and it's a high biological value source of protein, excellent, you know, slow release proteins because milk is around 80% casein. And then you've also got those fast digesting proteins in the whey. Also an excellent source of carbohydrates too. And you've also got like healthy fats in there. And then you've got calcium and phosphorus and other different minerals and I think milk is way underrated. Milk is epic. And they've even done um, studies in athletic populations to show that milk is more hydrating than water or sports drink. Because of the protein in it, yeah. Yeah, it's really good. So yeah, I think milk's way underrated. Okay, so next question for Tierra is, how can you achieve a thigh gap? Oh my gosh. (laughs) How do you do it? (laughs) Um, Well, the thing is, is that a thigh gap is really going to come down to your genetics and your bone structure, especially your hip structure, like how wide your hips are. Don't train your adductors. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you have massive adductors, you won't have a gap there. But who cares, man? Who, ha- who cares if you have a thigh between uh, a thigh <laughs> between your gap? a gap between your thighs like i like thick thighs and i'm i'm purposely training my adductors so i get thicker thighs but essentially it's just going to come down to your bone structure how wide your hips are and also how much fat you naturally carry on your thighs Um, because some girls who have skinny thighs and they put both their feet together they will have a slight thigh gap but like having a gap between your thighs that doesn't say anything about the value of you as a person like (laughs) Mm. anyway yeah so genetics and the amount of weight that you carry on your thighs for that one but it doesn't mean much to be honest no it doesn't (laughs) all right okay so next question is by tasala and she asks does fasted cardio improve your ability to burn fat hmm so yeah this is a question that's actually brought up quite frequently and asked i guess let's the short actually, answer let's actually um explain like why some people might think that so okay, sure so i guess the theory is that if you haven't eaten there's not a direct supply of glucose from the food that you've eaten throughout the day and so therefore your body will use fat as a fuel source as opposed to glycogen or glucose mm-hmm. i guess yeah that's the idea mm. and yeah it's not really The best way of looking at it, I think, is just looking at your whole day of energy and equilibrium or basically looking at it as a calculator or like a a spreadsheet or something like that. Mm -hmm. So if you burn more calories in the morning on an empty stomach, but then then you still eat the same amount of calories during the day, it's going to add up to the same energy balance. So, Mm -hmm. And I also think it's really important to make the note that the fuel source that you oxidize during exercise is primarily be dependent on the intensity of that exercise. So they've shown that a lower intensity exercise, so anything below like 65% of VO2 max, which is just like an average walk, you know, a little brisk walk, then you will predominantly be using fat as a fuel source because your body doesn't have to go through anaerobic metabolism because it has access to oxygen a large supply so you can oxidize fat as a fuel source but if you are going to do higher intensity exercise above 65 percent of your vo2 max like if you were going to go out in the morning and you were going to do sprints that's anaerobic exercise so your body would predominantly be using 
glycogen and glucose as a fuel source there. So it doesn't even matter what time of day it is. It really depends on the intensity mm. at which you're working. But even if you are working at a low intensity and oxidizing more fat, it doesn't mean you're going to be losing more body fat. Yeah, exactly. And also, it's not just one or the other at the same time. There mm. are multiple metabolic pathways going on in the body at mm. various different times. Some are just more times. dominant than others. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you'll be burning a little bit of glucose and a bit more fat or a little bit less fat and a bit more glucose. But overall, just focus on long term. If you're... I, if like your goal is to lose weight, it takes consistency and it happens over a chronic time period for when you are in an energy deficit. So that's either through reducing your caloric intake or increasing your energy output. And also they've shown in the literature that one, it does not make a difference over a total day, whether you train fasted or not for burning fat throughout the day. But also, if you've actually had a meal beforehand and then you go train, you might actually have more energy and then you can perform at a higher intensity, hence burn more calories during that training session. And overall, that's going to lead to greater weight loss success. Mm, yeah, I agree. Okay, so next question is by Nikias. Hopefully I've pronounced that correctly. What would your workouts look like after an injury that kept you at home for two weeks? There's just a further explanation as well. How do you program your training after injury, intensity, volume, rep ranges, exercise selection, etc., especially on the first week back? So I guess I've had experience with this recently because I took a full month off training in December for my back. And basically, the first week back is just very, very light and low volume so say i'll do between around six exercises in a workout do around two sets for each exercise and keep the intensity to around like four to five out of ten just to really get a pump and yeah any sort of stimulation at that point will be beneficial so you don't obviously have to go to high rpes or anything like that yeah i guess if you've heard mike isratel talk about you know MEV, MRV, so like you would per be performing there at MEV, so minimum effective volume. Mm. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the exercise selection, obviously say for me, I was doing chest supported back stuff. I wasn't doing any squats or deadlifts or RDLs or anything. Basically staying away from anything that has previously caused me pain. And then over time, you can slowly incorporate new movements, being very careful and slowly increase intensity as well. Yeah, exactly. And also this is just so individual specific because unfortunately we don't actually know what type of injury you had. So it's going to look different for everyone depending on what the state of their injury is and what body part of them is injured as well. Mm. Yeah. And the other, the final thing I'll mention is like, obviously you should wear dietitians. We don't, and we have PT qualifications as well, but obviously it would be preferable to see someone like a physio and get their recommendations as well yeah exactly jack and i are always big advocates for staying in your lane with trying to you know prescribe recommendations for people mm. okay so next question is by jade and she asks meal timing is it really important hmm okay so i'd say I th i'm a strong advocate that meal timing is important because 
One, (laughs) spreading out your meals throughout the day, you know, you're going to be more satisfied throughout the day and you're going to have more sustained energy levels. You're not going to have like very large spikes and dips in energy throughout the day, which is really good. It's also really going to help with exercise performance as well, specifically programming meals around your workout. So high carbohydrate meals pre and post workouts really going to help with performance and recovery. But also, if you spread out your meals too with a decent amount of protein in each, you're going to get spikes in muscle protein synthesis, which will also help with recovery and growing new muscle too. Mm, Yeah, I'll just reinforce that it's very individual. And yeah, for example, carbs timing before and after your workout, um, protein boluses throughout the day, casein before bed. Like you can go really in depth or you can just do the bare basics. So yeah, it would be different for like a general population client compared to an elite at level athlete. Mm. And like how many training sessions are you doing a day? Like when do you sleep? How long do you sleep for? Mm-hmm. Like how long are your training sessions? Do you do additional cardio as well? How much food are you eating? Like what's your calorie budget? Mm. Like for me, I can with the carbs I'm eating, I can afford to have like over 100 carbs with each meal, whereas Tierra would have to do lower yeah, increments. Yeah, so I'm usually having like around 75 pre and post workout and then less, a little bit less breakfast and dinner time. Mm, yep. So I think that's yeah, Sweet. good. Okay, cool. Well, we, yeah, we've still got a few questions to go, which is great. So this was asked by Anvir and it was saying, why a mini cut? versus a slow, more more modest deficit for cutting fat. Okay, so again, we're very good at saying this, but it depends on the individual and the situation. So if you're a either a male or female physique athlete and you have a good relationship with food, your food is decently high and you're at a body fat level where it's beginning to hinder your training or lifestyle, for example, might be influencing your sleep, you might be training less effectively because your body fat is high and yeah, a few other things as well. Yeah, exactly. Or like if you just don't even feel like you have an interest in eating food anymore, or like Jack said, with your body fat percentage, if you feel like your strength and your training is plateauing, but for some reason you keep gaining weight and that's indicative. And also you could be taking skin fold measurements as well in progress photos. It just looks like you're getting a little bit fluffier Then maybe you could consider a mini cut. Mm. And I would say the biggest difference as well is that a mini cut is more for the athletic population who are purely interested in performance and they want to dip in and dip out of a deficit as quickly as possible so they can continue gaining muscle or improving their performance. So basically that's the real reason, just like a very efficient body fat decrease and so they can get back to training normally again. Yeah, exactly. So like, for example, I've just been through an improvement season for almost a year and I steadily gained weight. I actually gained quite a bit of weight because I was like 56 kilograms on stage and I got up to 70 kilograms within a year. And then I decided, hey, it's probably time to do a mini cut. But again, just make it short and sweet and just get in and get out, get that done. As Steve Ford would say, like a bank robbery. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I wouldn't mind if people steal my fat. (laughs) But yeah, just get in and get out. So yeah, I'm just doing like a six-week cut just very efficiently. And because I am at that higher body fat percentage 
and I'm still paying very close attention to my nutrient timing. I'm doing resistance training, you know, five days a week. My recovery is good. My sleep is good. I'm not at a point where I'm going to be going catabolic or losing muscle. So this is a really good point for me where I can, oh, I guess in bro terms, you could say shred the fat (laughs) while just maintaining your muscle mass. But yeah, a mini cut, again, is very specific and it's right between like a time where you are in a gaining phase. So when you when you exit a mini cut, you immediately go back into a gaining phase. Um, Like you don't do a maintenance period or something like that. So yeah, it's just strategic. Mm, Whereas a slow diet would be more for someone who is a lifestyle or general general population individual. So for example, they would want to hold that decrease in body weight after they finish, or they're potentially on lower calories to begin with, so they can't afford a drastic drop, or they don't have quite as good a relationship with food, which will promote disordered eating tendencies as well. Yeah, and I'd say a big thing is that there's just not an immediate goal in sight. So for example, with me, I've got like six weeks where I just want to drop as much body fat as possible before I go into my last small gaining phase before I start my 2020 contest prep. But for if you don't have a necessarily goal in sight, you're just like, ah, I want to lose 10 kilograms or something, then you can have a more uh, slow and progressive cut. And again, it's not as, how would you term it? Like it's not as drastic. It's not as large Mm. of a calorie deficit. Yeah, it's just... Yeah, it's not as extreme. Mm, Yeah. Sweet. All right. So we have got another question. Are there any long term side effects of supplementing with creatine? No, not that we're aware of or that's been pointed out in the literature so far. So but who knows? Like, I, I wouldn't stop taking it. But like. There could be a study one day, but they've already done a crap load of studies on it and nothing yeah, is being and like emphasize crap load of studies. Like creatine is the most researched supplement in the world. Mm. Sweet. All right. Well, that's an easy one. I guess unless you have a pre-existing kidney issue, then definitely consult your doctor before taking creatine. But I'm not sure how many of our listeners actually have pre-existing kidney issues on, on like just in short creatine, generally very safe, very effective, very good. Okay, so next question is quite specific. We'll probably answer it more generally, but what have you done for the peak week of Kate? So this will be, again, very individual and personalized, but essentially what we look for in a peak week, all the hard work has been done. Essentially, we just want to probably reduce the training load slightly and training intensity. Tierra and I follow a carbohydrate backload approach, which means we tend to carb up on the few days leading up to the show and which usually means there's a lower carbohydrate approach leading up to those high days and yeah essentially just promoting a lower stress environment and yeah nothing drastic really like uh, salt and carbohydrates on the day nothing crazy with water like nothing crazy with salt either and yeah just mm. yeah exactly and again this is going to be so individual specific so usually for those um few days like leading up before you start the carb up you just follow like whatever your competitors low day carbohydrate numbers would be and then depending on because for example our jack and i's competitors they were doing high days throughout their entire prep so we base their carb up off of their high day numbers 
and that ranged anywhere from just doing a three-day carb up to a one-day carb up. So it's going to be so individual specific, but my best recommendation is to practice your peak week before you actually compete. So that means that you should get ready early, um, preferably like maybe four weeks early so that you can be eating up into the show. But you really want to practice a peak week to see how your body responds because it's so much better to flag things that like, oh, wait, okay, maybe I won't do that next time and make the mistake before you actually have to step on stage. So, mm. And if in doubt, don't hesitate to seek advice. So from a professional who knows what they're doing and yeah better there'll be better outcomes all around so mm-hmm. yeah but definitely please don't cut salt or water they help so much with the pump and jesus christ it's just not worth dehydrating yourself if you get up there and you don't have any water or salt in you you're just gonna look very stringy you know muscles are predominantly made up of water so if you're dehydrated you're not gonna look very full And salt really, really helps with increasing your blood pressure, increasing nutrient delivery to your muscles, helps with vascularity, and damn, it helps with the pump. So having like a salt shot, like half a teaspoon of salt before you actually start your pump up on show day can really, really help. Mm, Yep, I agree. So the next question is quite a one we haven't had before, which is interesting. So... How does the older individual over 50 retain and gain extra muscle? So this, the asker of this question has been training for a long time and is also vegan. So Mm. that. Okay. Well, I, I will just note that after the age of 50, naturally everyone's body goes through something called sarcopenia, which is the natural degeneration of muscle loss. So no matter what you do, your muscle fibers will start to degenerate. And also they will usually modify from uh, type two fibers, which are more fast twitch and explosive into type one fibers, which are more oxidative and slow twitch. Mm. And that sounds really horrible, but essentially conducting resistance training will offset this to a significant extent Yeah, and your diet as well. So we'll, we'll cover the diet portion first and essentially older individuals do require uh, increased amounts of dietary protein. So probably again, recommendation of around 2.5 grams per kilo per day yeah exactly and they have a lower like a lower response to the amount of leucine than a meal so they require more leucine per meal to actually have a muscle protein synthetic response so closer to that 2.5 grams of leucine per meal to induce muscle protein synthesis Mm, and that not going to lie that will be harder on a vegan diet so just being smart with eating choices so looking I always recommend soy because so soy is a complete protein and it contains all the essential amino acids. But unfortunately, and I did a post on this on Instagram once, and this showed that you actually need around 50 grams of soy protein in order to hit your leucine threshold. So around that 2.5 gram mark and 50 grams of soy protein, if you were to get that from firm tofu, this would be around 400 grams of firm tofu. So 
it is a damn decent amount. It's a lot of tofu. But yeah, if like you can go to that extent, but sometimes you could consider supplementing with leucine perhaps. But again, it, it the, you do run into difficulties on vegan diets with hitting leucine thresholds and sometimes protein when you're trying to reach for those higher targets. Yeah, and like Tiara said, potentially looking at a supplement and just being smart with food choices as well. So pairing food groups together, for example, whole grain bread and beans to ensure you're getting a complete protein again. Mm -hmm. And in terms of training, I would be probably slightly more conservative with training and looking towards movements that you can progress and continue a high intensity on which are safer. So for example, like if you have any issues with things like squats or deadlifts, then maybe looking towards things more like leg press and machines Mm -hmm. might be better. But again, very individual. And I would need to look at your exercise, injury history, current diet and all those factors. Yeah, exactly. But resistance training is just freaking awesome. Not like for everyone, but especially older individuals, because again, helps to combat that sarcopenia, so natural degeneration of muscle. But it also helps to combat osteopenia, which is the natural degeneration of bone mineral density. Because the way that we build bone and maintain bone is through compound movements. So things like doing resistance training and putting weight on your body, but also things like running and um, hiking as well too. But you also got to make sure you're getting a decent amount of calcium in as well. So we have a question by Lachlan and interested to know your opinion on this, Tiara, but Will the sport of bodybuilding ever come to mainstream networks such as ESPN and Fox? Has it become more mainstream in the previous years or will it stay being solely distributed on social media? I think it will become more mainstream. I think it's very sort of personalized depending on the individual because undoubtedly like some people, if they walk into a bodybuilding show, they see a bunch of chicks and guys in thongs, then they're going to be pretty put off and like... That's just the nature of it. And like, yeah. Yeah, I I almost find it strange sometimes because I feel like I'm so immersed in it. You know, like I've lived this lifestyle for years now. And whenever I go onto my social media, I really only follow competitors and researchers in the health and fitness industry. So I'm just surrounded by it all the time. And I'm always thinking about it too. And, you know, it's part of my career as well. But then... Like, I have to remind myself, I'm like, this is such a niche, you know, and I'm only, I'm only in this little bodybuilding bubble because I've put myself there. But have you ever like scrolled through someone else's Instagram or something? And it just looks completely different. And you're like, whoa, where are all the muscly people? (laughs) Yeah. And this reminds me of the interviews they did in Generation Iron 3, where they asked like normal people on the street, they showed them photos of, I think it was Ronnie Coleman or, so, yeah. or Kai Green actually. <laughs> and they were like, like most of people just found him gross. And yeah. like they, for us, that's like almost normal just to look at a physique like that. But for others, it's like, how the hell do you even do that? And yeah, like, exactly. why would you do that as well? Yeah, it, it's strange. Um, yes, but I, I really hope so. I hope that more people... I just want there to be more education on bodybuilding and for people to actually understand what the hell it takes to look like that because I think people, a lot of people are under the impression that one, 
everyone who does bodybuilding is on drugs mm. and also if you take drugs then boom you know you just blow up and you are a bodybuilder but i really think that people need to understand the adherence and the discipline and the training and the nutrition and the passion that goes into it for decades so you can look even close to what kai green looks like or ronnie coleman looks like i just i want people to know that and then i think there would be a lot more respect for the sport i think as well mm, yeah personally i see it just like any other elite sport even i think there's more effort that goes into bodybuilding because dude it's a 24 7 365 day a year sport mm, like if you take one week out of bodybuilding that's one that's like potentially muscle loss strength definitely a decrease in strength across your major lifts yeah and like not to mention if i took a day off eating like if i that was a shitload of progress lost if I if I got sick and took a couple days off eating. So. Yeah, exactly. With bodybuilding, literally everything counts. Like if you want to be competitive and you, if you want to be at that high level like Jack and I are striving for, every training session counts. Every single meal counts. Everything counts and everything contributes to your final result. Mm. All right, so we've got another question. So this is asked by Anvir and it says... How do you deal with hunger when cutting? And how do you tell the difference, if there is one, between normal hunger and excessive hunger? Also, she's also looking for high volume food ideas like during a diet to help you feel satiated. So I guess, how do you deal with hunger when cutting? I think that number one is that you need to be strategic with your nutrient timing and also your food choices and really picking foods that are more satiating. So Jack, what would be one of your favorite <laughs> meals um, that satiates you like a high volume food? Like salad. So, Jack freaking loves salad, man. <laughs> Only when dieting, but um, nice cream as well. Yeah. Salad and ice cream would, in my prep, would easily my top two. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, nice cream is epic. Literally, all you need is like one scoop of protein powder, a bit of frozen fruit, some fro like frozen ice, <laughs> just some ice, a little bit of water, or if you've got the macros, you can put a bit of milk in there. Put that in a food processor and it will waft up into like the biggest concoction ever. And then pick the smallest spoon in your house and enjoy that thing. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and strawberries, raspberries, blueberries are the best because they're the lowest volume, sorry, mm -hmm. highest volume, lowest calorie fruits. Yeah, pineapple and mango are also really, really good too. They really fluff up. So yeah, nice cream is a definite one. Yeah, salad and just choosing like lower calorie vegetables as well. So if you've got like spinach, if you've got cabbage, if you've got cucumber, things like that, making yourself a massive salad. What what other ingredients did you put in there? You had like mushrooms. mushrooms. Car carrots are good. Celery is really good. Mm, all veggies are nice. Yeah. Yeah, basically non-starchy veggies. So starchy, veg yeah. starchy veggies, uh, sweet potato, potato pumpkin, turnips, parsnips, those sorts of things. Yeah, so don't don't put those in because yeah. that'll just add to the caloric value. And then just to make your salad good, put a bunch of spice on it. Like try to skip out on the salad dressing just for calories sake. But if you put a bunch of, um, I really like smoky paprika and Italian herbs, that's really good. A bunch of salt and pepper. And then putting like vinegar on it is really nice too. 
And yeah, you can just make yourself a humongous salad. So yeah, nice cream and salad. Egg whites are awesome. Egg whites are really, really good. And to just answer the bit about normal hunger and excessive hunger. So this will be very determined one on psych psychological factors and also how strategic you've been with your volume foods and how much food you're on in general. But pretty much what I would say is if you're losing an excessive amount of weight, then your hunger cues probably are going to be excessive. So if you're losing more than 1% of your body weight per week, that's probably excessive for most people. And if you're losing under that, then you can probably say that the hunger cues I'm experiencing are normal. Like, because it is very hard to discriminate between certain people what is excessive and what is normal. Yeah, exactly. I can definitely say that sometimes you can tell when you're not actually physiologically hungry, but more you might just be bored or you just like the idea of eating. But I know speaking anecdotally for myself, actual physical hunger for me, my like throat starts to hurt. It's like, uh, it actually, it's, it's not painful, but I feel it in my throat and my stomach grumbles. But yeah, I can, I can really feel hunger in my throat. I don't know how to explain it. It's kind of weird. And she yeah. may or may not cry as yeah, well. Yeah, I get, I get um, hungry, so sad and hungry for sure <laughs> when I'm feeling a little bit hypoglycemic. But yeah, just be smart with your choices. Also, air-popped popcorn is epic. Like, that stuff is so good and such, like, high fiber, and you just get such a large volume for a small amount of popcorn. You can just buy yourself an air-pop popper, pop popcorn popper. Whoa, that's a tongue twister. Um, <laughs> from Kmart. And spreading your food out, like for example, if you were to have yogurt or cottage cheese or something, you could easily put that little amount in a bowl, but you can actually like get a plate and like spread it out just so that it looks like you're eating more food. Yeah. And I just focus on your higher volume foods, more fibrous foods as well, and just foods that contain more water too. Mm, yeah. There's many, many hacks and stuff to increase satiety. Yeah, Jack and I never really got into the diet. Like we never got into diet jellies or anything no. like that. No. Nice cream's the way to go. <laughs> Ooh, and how could I forget? Potatoes. Oh my God, potatoes are so awesome. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people actually avoid potatoes in prep. I don't know, there's an idea that they're unhealthy, but potatoes are actually epic. They've actually got a lot of health benefits and a good nutritional value. But yeah, potatoes, literally, even in like just 500 grams of potatoes, what you can do is just slice them really thin into like little potato wedges and just bake those in the oven at like 230 degrees. Um, and the thinner you slice them and the more you spread them out on the baking tray, you'll have way more potatoes. <laughs> but yeah, just bake those with some spices. You don't have to add any oil or anything. And then you can have like yourself a big bowl of just potato wedges. Like that is so good. And you can do the exact same thing with pumpkin as well. So that's definitely a really good one. Love potatoes. Yeah, I probably ate about like a pumpkin a day in prep. Yeah, oh my God, or like, Jesus, probably like five kilograms of potatoes, <laughs> mm. a lot. The air fryer was used a lot. So wrapping up as per usual, we'll both say something that we've learned this week. So, so am I going first? Yep. Okay. <laughs> okay, so this week, what I learned is that, well, the reason why I learned this is that sometimes when I sleep, my arm like goes in an awkward position 
and I don't know, I sleep on my arm funny and my arm essentially falls asleep. I think a lot of people know what I mean when I say that where you have like a dead arm. <laughs> and there's actually times where I like wake up um, and I go to, it's always my left arm and that's the arm that my watch is on. And I go to like look at the time on my watch and like I lift up my arm without realizing it's dead and it just like comes crashing down on my face. <laughs> And it's like, oh my God, who even needs an alarm clock, right? When you like have an arm whack you in the face in the morning. Anyway, I was kind of concerned because I'm like, oh shit. I'm like, why is it like, is it going dead because I'm cl- cutting off the blood supply to my arm? And I'm like, no, I'm like, I don't want to, <laughs> literally that was my thinking. I was like, I don't want to cut off the blood supply to my arm. I was really worried. And This might sound silly too, but I think reasonable as well. I was worried because I was like, you know, during sleep, that's when you're recovering. That's when you're growing new muscles. And I'm like, no, my left arm is going to be weak because I won't have any blood supply and my muscles aren't going to (laughs) grow. Anyway, so I looked this up. Good news is that when you sleep on your arm funny, you're not actually cutting off blood supply. What's happened is that you've gone into an awkward position at one of your joints and it's actually twisted one or more of your nerves and you lose nerve sensation in that body part. Now, this isn't a good thing either, but luckily your body has a feedback mechanism so that when you lose nerve sensation, your body will wake you up so that you can move position and you know the action potentials can fire again in that nerve and you regain sensation. It's usually only an issue if you are like extremely drunk and unconscious and un- and passed out and you fall asleep. Um, in like a very awkward position and then that feedback mechanism doesn't work your body doesn't wake up and there have been reports of people losing nerve sensation in their limbs after they've gone unconscious um, from being drunk but I don't think that's gonna happen to any of you guys but anyway yeah that was quite relieving because I'm like yes it's just my nerves it's not my blood vessels my muscles are still gonna grow (laughs) Um, but I do need to be careful because this happens to me almost every night that I sleep on my arm and yeah I, I've whacked my face like myself in the face many many times but anyway that's what I've learned it's all good <laughs> so that's why you wake up with bruises yeah it? literally I woke up with a cut above my eyebrow once and I Jack and I couldn't figure out what it was I'm like oh that's right I felt like I my um my hand came crashing down on my face during the night <laughs> so one thing I learned actually yesterday was the importance of posing for all athletes or physique athletes and yeah this really put into place yesterday because Tierra tweaked some of Kate's posing after some feedback from the judges and yeah like massive Kate looked very very strong and muscular and beautiful up there but because she was in the bikini division after she went on stage the first time she actually got second place and we spoke to the judges about feedback before she went up again and they just recommended they wanted her to pose a bit softer and to be honest this was a challenge for because Jack and I were both then um, helping Kate tweak her posing after that and it was, it was almost the opposite of what we were used to because we were looking for poses that made her look like less toned and more flat and softer. And it was weird saying like, 
oh yeah, that's a good one because it doesn't make you look as good. Like <laughs> it was totally backwards. <laughs> mm, but it sort of just reinforced to us knowing the guidelines for posing for your set criteria back to front. And for example, like, yeah, bikini is obviously going to be different to fitness and sports model for ICN. And yeah, exactly. So coming from Kate doing phenomenal posing last week at ICN to the AWNBS show this weekend. Yeah, again, it just reiterates you're constantly learning things. You're not only learning things every season that you do a prep or that you coach or every show that you do, but every freaking division within every show, you will always learn something. So yeah, that, that was pretty cool. Yeah, but, you know, Kate fixed it up, and hell yeah, she won. One looking softer. <laughs> <laughs> that wraps it up for today. So thanks, everyone, for listening in. If you liked the episode, please don't hesitate to share it on your story. So tag myself, tag Tierra, tag the bodybuilding dietitians, share it with friends, family, and, yeah, we'll catch you later next week. Bye.